0: Hi guys, welcome back to Below the Line with Seb, Nolan, and Ben K. Uh, We're a podcast where we talk about filmmakers who don't get enough spotlight due to the nature of their careers. So forget directors, forget actors, forget writers, forget producers. Here we're going to talk about some of the unknown below the line people. So composers, cinematographers, editors, production designers. And we're trying to focus on people that you may not know of, but you definitely know their movies. Today, we'll be talking about, uh, well, actually, before we get to that, thank you, everybody, for listening into our last episode. Um, we've gotten a lot of really, 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 really nice comments. We're really grateful for all of them. And uh, I guess follow our, follow our Instagram page and keep sharing our podcast. We're really grateful for everything, all the feedback we've been getting. First, do we want to talk about, um, let's see, so what have you been watching?
1: <laughs> so I've been watching, I, I watched, I've been watching a lot. But first been of all, I want to I I talk about something. Like, I want to talk about Nomadland. Because we we saw Nom- Nomadland. I saw Nomadland sort of illegally. Um,
0: <laughs> ben Wolf, K yeah. saw you,
1: Nomadland. <laughs> ben K saw Nomadland. Ben K bought tickets for Nomadland for the New York Film Festival. He had four hours to watch them. He watched two hours, used them for watching them, then passed the ticket that linked to me. And with a VPN, I was able to watch it. Uh, Nolan, unfortunately, was not able to watch it because it was a no, not a six-hour renting period. Uh, so I'm sorry, Nolan.
2: Mike,
0: <laughs> the account does not let any nerds on the line. It would have kicked you out immediately.
2: I'm so sorry, guys. I'm so sorry I've disappointed this chat. But let me, let me tell you. When I see Nomadland, I will, I will finally have my wrath on both of you.
0: When you, you think- you'll have your wrath on the world. Well, do you sure web- nomad? Sure. Yeah, I <laughs> want
1: to talk about, because that was an experience. That was so good, wasn't it, Kate? That was like, okay. Because for reference point, last time we were talking about the Venice Film Festival, it was going to end a le- day later than we recorded and we didn't know what one was was going to win. Nomadland won, for those who didn't know, and then it won at Toronto, Toronto Film Festival, the People's Choice Awards, which like, uh uh-huh.
0: Every movie that, every movie in the past 10 years that has won that award has at least won one Oscar and been nominated for Best Picture. Nomadland was directed by um, NYU alum Chloe Zhao, who... Yeah. Mm, um, <coughs> who has devoted her career to making movies kind of in this blend of nonfiction and fiction. Um, she's chosen to use mostly non-actors for her movies. And for her newest movie, um, it is about Frances McDormand. It's not about Frances McDormand. Well, it could be about Frances McDormand, but she's in this movie. And it's about her living the life of a, nom- of, of a nomad as she lives out of her van and pretty much travels around the world, not around the world, just around the American Midwest, trying to find a career and trying to, you know, basically
1: just like live life. Mark Mark Chloe Zhao, cause she is coming with this and with Marvel's Eternals and she'll be in everyone's doorstep. As the mattress, just her face in every home in America will be just Chloe Zhao's face. You're going to be hearing
0: a lot about Chloe Zhao in the next few months, especially coming up to Oscar season, because I predict she'll be a really, really heavy player in pretty much everything, because she's, she's, she edited this, she wrote it, and obviously directed it, and I think there's, she, it's going to be, at the very least, a front runner for Best Picture. No, Len, what have you been watching lately?
2: I've been watching, in honor of Spooky Tober, I've been watching, uh, getting back onto my horror film, uh, Rolodex, and just going down the list and seeing what, what films I haven't seen in a while, which last night entailed a viewing of Corpse Bride, which, let me tell you, Victor Van Dort, <laughs> it's time that we say it for here for public record, Victor Van Dort is the most attractive character in any fictitious piece of media. Uh, uh, ever, ever, right. ever, ever, even Van even Dord next to
0: Eddie Redmayne in, in Fantastic Beasts, and, and and where to find them, and and, and where, where to, find, to them? find them, and and it's Crimes of Grindelwald, <laughs> and then or once they're found, crimes? and once crime, they're found, yeah, I mean even that even him,
2: the thing with Victor Van Dord is that he's this he's this nervous bookish guy. Like uh, Ichabod Crane and Sleepy Hollow, another Johnny Depp Tim Burton joint. It's kind of the same idea except Victor Van Dort walks into uh, the home of the girl he's, he's going to marry and he's very nervous because this is a social and financial wedding. They don't really, they never met, this is arranged um, and the parents don't really approve of Victor, the parents of the girl. He walks into their home and as soon as it's empty, as soon as everyone goes off to do their own thing, he goes up to the piano and just plays this beautiful piece. It's beautiful progression. And it, it's it's one of those scenes where, like, was I charged with emotion? Yes. Did I cry? I, I don't want to say that. But it was a very, very good moment. And a great October viewing. It's not too scary. It's obviously very romantic. Um, there's a love interest played by Helena Baum-Carter as a corpse, which, mm-hmm. you know, not, not a huge stretch for her. But there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of great Halloween elements, um, which makes me excited for the next time that I'm going to watch an animated film in my horror film lineup. It will definitely be Coraline.
0: Oh, Coraline yep. is amazing. Yep. Yep.
2: Yes. Wow. Yep.
0: No, that was that was so vulnerable. Like, wow, I didn't know you get so emotional about Corpse Bride. I always I've always thought it's like kind of a lesser Tim Burton work, but I guess, I guess you know, not. I
1: I feel like I don't know. I'm not a big fan neither, on Corpse Bride. I rewatched it recently. Didn't really finish it, but I got to the point where they're like talking to the old skeleton guy about how to get to like the living world. And I'm like, this is such a cocoa, but without everything that makes me excited about cocoa. <laughs>
2: it's like I mean, it's like know. the it's like it's like vanilla cocoa, which is actually <laughs> some people enjoy that flavor more. Vanilla but it's, coke? <laughs> Vanilla Coke? It's it's, hmm. it's white cocoa.
1: We love it. It's still a good movie. It's just It's
0: still a good movie. It's still a good movie. I don't know. That's on um that's on Dark Shadows though. I know you also saw that one.
2: Yeah, I watched Dark Shadows. Listen. Nothing can be said about Dark Shadows. I'm not even going to... It's bad. It's a bad movie, guys. Do you realize how we always
1: bring up, like, the worst Tim Burton? Like, we like, we always talk about Tim Burton, but it always has to be Big Eyes, uh, Dark Shadows. Yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa,
0: whoa, whoa, whoa. No way. You just uh, talked about us saying we only talk uh, about the worst Tim Burton, and you said Big Eyes. Big Eyes. Yeah. Big, yeah. The best the, film? Big, Tim Burton. Tim Burton's so big much. eyes. <laughs> no. Wow, I um, I have been watching. I watched <laughs> the Human Voice, Pedro Modovar's new short movie, which I also rented on New York Film Festival. It was very, very good, and I assume it'll come out on like YouTube or something. But it was incredible. Loved it. Nolan, um, did you this watch is this like, one?
2: Did Benki give you the no.
1: link for this one? I didn't see this one.
0: In
2: fact, Benke didn't even mention he was going to see this until he had already seen it. Because that's where our that is where our friendship is at. And I'm busy. You know, so, okay, I'm about, busy. Something about episode two, I feel like it's gonna be a lot shorter than the other ones. Cause Ben K and I, I don't I don't know. I don't know anymore. Um
1: I wanna say <laughs> I I need to talk about an experience I had. Uh, oh, so I've had an
0: experience. Oh I my had God! An
1: experience. This yes, is the did. moment. This is the moment. Um, I rewatched Kislovsky's, Christoph Kislovsky's, <laughs> Three Colors Blue, <laughs> which is the first film in the Three Colors trilogy. I had watched this before, and I had liked it a lot, and uh, but I had kind of forgotten about it. Also, the other two. Um, So this was, like, not forgotten about it, but I, like, couldn't remember it very well. This time, I was watching it, and I'm not kidding you, it was an experience that I've probably had once or twice watching a movie before in my entire life. I wouldn't even be able to tell you, like, probably when I watched In the Mood for Love. And when I watched Pan's Labyrinth for the first time a long time ago, like, yeah. <laughs> which was like just this insane level of realization. of, Like I was so vulnerable watching that movie. Every single thing that happened just tore me emotionally. Like it was, I was open towards it in a way that things would jump scare me when they were too loud. Cause I was just like, my soul was open towards it and everything was so perfect in the best way possible. Like everything made perfect sense to me. And I've been questioning a lot, my taste in movies for the last two months or, or so. In uh, questioning, what is it that I want to make myself as a filmmaker? And a lot of this has been related to this film in the way that when I was watching this, like all those thoughts that were going through my mind of what I valued in movies, I was seeing them on screen, <laughs> you know, just manifested in the most beautiful way imaginable in a way that I was just overwhelmed, not only emotionally, cause it's such an emotional and human movie, but it's also a very smart movie. Like I, it made me think, like about that sounds like such a general statement but it genuinely made me think about so many things that were already in my mind with every single thing that I it wouldn't be like I could make the entire podcast episode just me monologuing about like each like each part of this movie because I'm like this part is great this part is great because of that this part is great because of that yeah I have no idea and I cried I never cry in movies. Seb never cried Never. Never. I am not that person. Like, if I cry, I force myself to cry, and it's one tear. And this was this was not only one tear. This two? shed two motherfucking tears
0: out of my fucking eyes. Can we get a round of applause for Seb's tears? Wow. Wow. I've, I've seen this movie, and I feel like I just watched it again just by hearing Seb talk about it, honestly. <laughs> yes.
2: Yes. I agree, though. There's R- such a... There's such a poetry, and truly, it's not overused when you talk about Kieslowski and his films. There's such a poetry there. Watching one of his films at the right time, and I guess you could say this for any movie, but a Kieslowski film with, like, the right amount of snow on the windowsill and the right amount, like, the sound of, like, a tea kettle in the background, a Kieslowski film can change your entire outlook, not on, not on movies, but on the human condition. What a powerful, powerful poetic Honestly. director.
0: Um, even if you come back to it later and are like, that was so That was so unrealistic. That did not capture it at all how I thought. I think you'll still have a really good memory about it. And it'll, it really like captures your emotions, how you are feeling like right now. Cause like at this point, like, you know, it's, it's capturing this like uh, your moment of like kind of starting school and all that. And like, you're like, trying to like find your voice or whatever and this is like helping you and all that and you'd be like oh shit this was this was the moment i figured it out um wait I wait say, to
1: expose me there as a person oh sorry no no you you school. actually
0: you start you just started grad school, <laughs> just started grad school. Sorry.
2: Uh,
0: <laughs> um exposing I, me to I my say.
2: friends and family how dare you <laughs> <laughs> I, I understand say, what benke is talking about very perfectly i remember the first time that i watched the dune trailer and it was so immaculate. And then it turns out it was just the Grammarly ad before the Dune trailer. <laughs> and that put that put me in a little bit of a moment. But um, you know, yeah. I,
0: thought? <laughs> <laughs> I you you got me for a second there. It really moved me. But it was only thirty seconds long. Oh oh, never mind. Never no, never mind. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was like, I, damn. Bill New is pulling is, is pulling the rock with this one, This <laughs> This woman in the library writing her college paper. I do know. This is a new direction for, for his like, career, but Hollywood movies in general. Wow, this is this is bold. Bold. The <laughs> Nolan's like, what? I was so invested with her. What happened to Natalie <laughs> the grad student? <laughs> I want to know what happened an, to her essay. Does she get an A? Does she get an A on the paper? Like. <laughs> I need to know. Fuck they got me. Um, I will say about uh, through Colors Blue though it is not like despite it being rather depressing movie as Seb explained. I think everybody that shouldn't turn off anybody from watching this movie is absolutely amazing. It is so gorgeous and I think anybody will be able to take certainly something from this movie. And I, I right. really, I think everybody here would strongly recommend everybody watch this movie. Absolutely. Blue. Yep, yep, yep. Um, even anyway, if, even if you... a certain
1: person here, I'm not going to say who, because two of us have ranked this as five stars in the letterbox. There's another guy who has it at three and a half, but I'm not going to say
2: who it is. Um, three and a half? Three yeah. and a half out of five? That's, wow.
0: That's, it's Thank you, thank you. It's not cool. <laughs> it is Ah. Oh! Oh my god I confess,
2: I confess I gave three colors blue, three and a half. Mm-hmm. It's only because I had seen both three colors red and the double life of Veronique two other debuffs. So before I guess
0: Seb, I think and, we have an official reason to demote him to guest. <laughs> oh yeah, we need to clarify that. he's not a guest, guys. I'm not a guest. I'm a <laughs> i am am a host, unfortunately. <laughs> but I think we just got a new guest. On our podcast, Ellen, <laughs> for that line right there. Today we will be talking about production designer John Barry, the late John Barry.
2: Hi guys. Um,
0: Let listen. I don't want to seem <laughs> like I, I don't want us
1: to seem. John, like, John, you gotta wait for your cue.
0: John, just just wait. Like we, normally we don't have you yet. We don't have the we don't have the guest speak <laughs> Anyway, the the um. I don't wanna seem like the your your average film podcast who talks about Clockwork Orange all day long. But John Barry did do the production design for Clockwork Orange, among a few other small projects, such as the first two Superman movies and maybe his smallest project of all. The first Star Wars movie. Oh
2: um, that was good. That was a pretty good movie, actually. That was pretty no good. That, that was pretty
0: good. That was pretty I good. I remember that. John Barry is, I mean, listen, he is the production designer for Star Wars. Like, think about what that means. Star Wars might be, say what you will about the movie, but Star Wars might be one of the most influential movies, period, of like last 40 years, the last 40 years. And why do you, what do you assume the, we're gonna say something bad about it? <laughs> I'm like, I'm listening? like, what do you mean Cause, Cause, you Will, about Star Wars? Star Wars. Listen, uh, Sebastian wrote a scathing review on his letterbox, <laughs> which i was absolutely shocked about.
2: Expose, expose him now.
0: Seb <laughs> <Except> goes. <laughs> What an interesting project or some shit like that. <laughs> Dude, it's, it's, I was like, it's what like is this? So, do you think this, this is a science project? Like, damn, <laughs> this is Star Wars.
2: <laughs> it's like three colors blue and three colors red. Once you see Phantom Menace, the others, the original Star Wars, they look terrible. <laughs> they look terrible. Exactly. Right, right. I, I'm sorry. I didn't. I didn't mean it as a bad
1: thing. It's not like it's still a project. Every film is a fucking project. I, I, I in the very least, I meant it as an admir- Something I admired because it's such a big thing. It feels more of a this, project, you know. Cause this, it's like
0: this little, this little dainty fifth grader <laughs> science project somebody made in their backyard.
2: Severely said, "Let's put this up on the fridge." You know what? Let's put Star Wars up on the fridge. Good work. <laughs>
0: John Barry, unfortunately, there's actually not a ton of information out about, of him specifically out there, but there is a lot of his, he was the production designer for A Clockwork Orange and this movie called The Little Prince, which pretty much nobody has heard of, but it is directed by Stanley Donan, director of Singing in the Rain, And this movie is kind of seems despite it being one of his lesser works, at least from what I can tell from it, it seems like a major John Barry work in that it's kind of mixing this uh, futuristic science fiction looking design with his kind of, um, I don't know, uh, his, his kind of old rusty look to it all. I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of speaking out of my ass here. What do you, Seb, <laughs> did you the see, Little you Prince. saw this movie?
1: I was the only one that watched The Little Prince. I don't know why,
2: like, as soon as we settled on John Barry, I was, it was jumping on it.
0: <laughs> you know what,
2: Seb? You're a big king for watching The Little Prince. Thank you You, you are a big
0: king for that. Thank you
2: for that. Thank
1: you, thank you. And I might add, I watched that through Nolan's Criterion
0: channel. Uh, so like give it up for, for Nolan's Creatune channel for letting Nolan's- me watch the little Prince*. Yeah, thank you, Nolan. Uh, so in many ways, I watched
2: it. <laughs> Vicariously, Vicariously through Seb, I watched it. Okay. Uh, Does quick, anybody
0: quick, not quick. use Nolan's password for Critune <laughs> collection?
2: Let's get a viewer, let's get a listener poll going. How many people listening to Below the Line? <laughs> Uh, tweet at BTL Pod. How many of you use Nolan Lampson's Criterion Channel account?
0: Actively, like like on the daily.
2: Thank like you, man. Daily, thank yeah. you for using it. Thank you
0: for using you're, it.
2: You're so you're both so welcome. Although since you didn't watch The Little Prince, maybe you'll be demoted to guest on my Criterion Channel account.
1: So <laughs> Nolan's Nolan's Criterion account, everyone. It's Noly the funny guy at gmail.com um, and the password is. It's, the it's, password is Three Colors Green Book. Three Colors Green Book, yes. I watched this one year, one year, one day after I watched <laughs> Three Colors Blue. So it was, a, it was a drastic change of pace and tone and uh, perhaps quality, if I may say. This is a fucking funny movie. Like, this is laughable funny. And I know there's, like, fans of this movie out there. And I, like, understand that, like, how some people might find this, like, very fault because i love the book the little prince but this just felt like such a hollywood machine like vomit like the actual little prince like you can tell they picked the absolute most perfect looking boy they could find you know that to a point that he's like inhuman which i guess makes sense because it's The little prince but he has like absolutely no personality as a boy except just being the perfect face uh, there's this one thing I need to say, though. It's a musical as well. Willy Wonka, from the original Willy Wonka, that actor G- plays G- the female. G- yes. The fucking fox. Oh, shit. Wow. She gets a That's song crazy. and everything. The thing is, it's a little boy that leaves his planet, right? And then he's like meeting a ton of adult men across the way and he sings and dances with Uh, these men. So it's like, it's it's a bit like, (laughs) it's easy to feel a little bit uncomfortable at times, even though the movie's trying to prevent like your mind going anywhere near that point. But it is like, it's hard not to think of this especially when like a lot of these like the snake for example is very like feminine feminized as well you know like so it's like a little bit creepy how he's supposed to be the bad guy the snake's like oh i want to bite you and the little boy's like <laughs> no or even the fox like it's a different thing to watch a little boy and a fox like tame a fox and be like tame me as a fox versus seeing Willy Wonka telling the little kid to tame him, <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> it's, there's a difference. Um, but overall, the production design is amazing. Like, it's really fun, actually. Like, they do a lot of mm. So, that was nice. Yeah. You Thank can
0: God, see. the
2: production design is good.
0: Yeah, At least it was, it, it was worth a watch, at the very, yeah. at the very least. It's, it's um, very cartoonish. I just love
1: it because it's very, like, John Barry, which is, like, well, I don't know if John Barry has a distinct like style, like a nature production designer, but like, I feel like other movies, like Star Wars and Clockwork Orange, they're like, maybe Star Wars less so, but they're a bit, they like mix real world with cartoon world, you know? Like even like the milk bar at Clockwork Orange is like very oddly cartoonish over the top that makes it really iconic and um, really creative and in this movie he like brings that but to the like world
2: of a children's movie so it's like even like off the rails it's really fun. Mm.
0: Mm. But I think like
2: it says something I, I think it says something too about John Barry where every movie has a production designer relatively you know, most of them do but not every movie is a production design movie you know what I mean uh, Nancy Myers, The Intern, is a wonderful movie. In 20 years, we will not be talking about The Intern's production design.
0: We'll Unfortunately, about, um, we will not be talking
1: about We'll be, talking about, we'll be talking about it's production design next week when we talk about, okay. <laughs> no.
2: uh-huh. But I think it says something about John Berry where it wasn't even like he did mundane projects, um, or I guess to use terminology we've been using before, normie projects in between these bigger, you know, massive scale movies. He really exclusively did massive scale movies, which speaks to his reputation, but also speaks to his work ethic of giving giving it 110%.
0: Even from the beginning, I forgot to mention this, but his one of his first movies was he was an assistant production designer on uh, the Cleopatra movie, which like is kind of like came under fire for just being like an all around shitty movie like just like it was it was like it was one of these huge projects that was like you know had so much hype around it Elizabeth Taylor was in it and it was gonna it was probably like you know it was gonna be like the next big epic and it was good they were like we're gonna make this one best picture and all that and it wasn't it was like a, ge- it was, like, a genuinely shitty movie but what people like kind of took away from that movie and like still take away from that movie not like people still talk about Cleopatra <laughs> all the time but it's like it's like production and just like its whole like visual element of just like how much work was put into the set held up and I think like like you said Nolan like all these these movies that he's done like it's production design is not secondary it is like it's it's more and it's also it's more than just like oh that's so pretty wow it's like part of the plot and like kind of what makes these movies stand out. It's like what has maintained so influential, which I think is kind of why we wanted to talk about him. because like, even though nobody knows his name, it's like his work, it transcends whatever, you know, whatever's like, you know, like whatever plot, like all that kind of stuff about the movie, like it it really has like the visuals and the production design have really stayed with everybody that, that watches these movies.
2: When you think about it, it almost like it, it almost goes really well with the theme of our podcast, which is not knowing people's names but knowing their work. I, I for some reason I feel like John Barry is actually really like emulative of our theme. Do you guys do you guys feel that also? Yeah, yeah, I'm
0: sure. The role of the like the production designer isn't necessarily like the person who like actually you know gets in the nitty gritty of like designing everything for the movie. Like they're not the ones always drawing stuff, you know, like there's, it's like a team effort. I'm not giving like all the credit to John Barry, but it's like when the the production designer's job is like kind of organize it all together and like be the one to like talk to George George Lucas or like any of the directors that he was working with to like kind of uh, make sure that the director's thoughts are like kind of in tune with theirs, like help create like the overall feel for the movie and the way that they want the movie to look. And um, I was, reading about Star Wars and the production for Star Wars you know like it was it had a really like a a kind of like troubling shoot um they did not have a lot of money at the very least like they did not have a lot of money at all to make this movie not not for
1: the scale of the movie like yeah
0: like it was yeah it it was big but you know like nobody at this point there was like nobody was really making this kind of movie anyway so Everyone was also, like, betting against him, uh, betting against George Lucas. And this entire movie, it was, like, George Lucas said, like, the, like, John Barry and, like, these this, like, few team of, like, art directors and, like, costume designers were, like, the few people that he really felt like he could confide in on the set.
1: Another thing that, like, they won an Oscar, all of that team for yeah. Best yeah. Arts
0: direction, art direction, I think direction, it was called yeah. at that
1: point. Um, John Barry and a bunch of other people will, will not be talking about today, <laughs> but they're all, they were also there, <laughs> they're also present. But I think one of the craziest parts about John Barry, like things, is that he came today to this podcast and he is here with us to to talk about his experience. Please everyone give it up for John Barry.
0: Hi John. Hi, I'm John <laughs> Hi. Barry. Hi, John Wait, Barry. Uh, Hi, is this Academy Award Hi. winner, John Barry, John production Barry. designer of of, of uh, the the Little Prince, the Little Prince movie.
2: The first one, at least. Um, back
0: back from the dead, I may. Mean, uh, back back from the den, really? Yeah. Right. Um, we made we made many uh, Little Prince movies af- after. And I, I'm here to tell you. I'm to Sorry, John,
2: did I, did I put you on the spotlight, John? You seem a little nervous. No, uh, I, I'm more reflecting now on the process of making The Little Prince and trying to get financing for our next film in which The Little Prince meets his own corpse bride. We never got funding for it. And mm. to this day, it irks me. And again, I said it earlier, and I'll say it again. I will have my wrath. I will right. have my wrath. On He's come
0: back from Benke.
2: I will have my wrath on Seven Benke, and I will have my wrath on Paramount Pictures for not greenlighting the Little Prince Corpse Bride. Mm,
0: that's really it's. <laughs> Wait, you know, I about- was, I was, I have to say, I was behind it. I, you know, like, yes, it could have used some tweaks in the script, but overall. <laughs> um All right, Name uh-huh. one.
2: Name one tweak in the script. <laughs>
0: See, um, you don't have shows. one because
2: it was perfect. <laughs> I, I feel like we're getting dangerously close to approaching the part of my career where I worked on the Clockwork Orange. And Mm -hmm. if you, if you happen to talk about Stanley Kubrick again, I think we're going to throw a lot of people off. We did it for two episodes in a row. Um, (laughs) Let me just say, let me just say that Stanley, Stanley and I were great friends as long as we never talked to each other. As long (laughs) as we stayed apart from each other, um, very, very much social distance from each other. It did you enough.
0: write letters How had you how did you guys communicate
2: i did write letters you know the thing is most people write me letters nowadays
0: mm, saying mm, you know, yeah i
2: loved i loved um star wars i love what you did with the script i love what you did they, they <laughs> mostly name they mostly name things they name almost everything in star wars except for my actual job mm, i've gotten mm. um I, i've gotten i loved you as general snoke i've gotten mm. that a couple times
0: i'm sorry Ooh. John Barry, you've gotten your thank ass you. handed to you many times in your career. In your thank you. It like one time, i you were ready to direct a movie, right? You were you were so <laughs> to direct my own film. You were mm. you were literally about to direct right. a movie.
1: I was. Uh-huh. What um, happened?
0: Stan uh not Stanley Don. Um, John Barry. John Barry Got his ass handed to him um, post-Star Wars two times. Well, probably more than twice, but two significant times. Once.
1: Yeah, everything else was
0: pink. Everything was perfect. (laughs) At least two times. And the second one's real bad. The second one is really, really bad.
1: (laughs) He said I'm laughing. Okay, yeah, go. The first one. Yeah.
0: He was going to direct... Of course, everybody's favorite 70s science fiction movie, Saturn 3. This was his his passion project. And they brought on Kirk Douglas, who was huge.
1: He was, like, kicked out of the project. From what I, like, read was that, like, the rumors were that he got into, like, a feud? I don't know if feud is the right word with Kirk Douglas. Mm -hmm. Like, they didn't get along well, like, as co-workers. And mm-hmm. He held more leverage because he was yeah. Kirk
0: Douglas. Kirk Douglas, yeah. I can oh, imagine that being a situation for um, sure. I don't want to spread I, but,
1: rumors, but Nolan what? or John Barry. Can you, John, can you sure, can John you Barry, tell John me? Barry, do you want to tell <laughs> us? What happened?
0: What happened behind the scenes of Saturn, the greatest movie ever made, Saturn 3? Sorry, it could have been the greatest movie ever made.
2: I, and this has been known throughout my time in the industry, I always make a sandwich, turkey albacore, and I bring it to the <laughs> set for lunch. Now, when people eat my sandwich, they will feel my wrath. <laughs> you, may under, you may understand where this story is going.
0: Mm. Kirk mm-hmm.
2: Kirk, mm-hmm. Kirkity Douglas, Spartacus himself, mm-hmm. Paths of Glory himself. Oh Path my glory, God, yeah. Kubrick is, Kubrick is infesting his way into the podcast, guys. It's happening. Either way,
1: <laughs> we just can't <didn't laughs> leave Kubrick behind. <laughs> We're just obsessed with Kubrick. <laughs> every day we think and dream of Kubrick. <laughs> I write a haiku for Kubrick every day when I wake up. <laughs> every cooking. time, every time
0: something happens in my life, I'm like, hey, it's just like that Kubrick movie. It's just <laughs> like uh um...
1: Sorry, continue, John Barry. Sorry, sorry,
0: John Barry. This is so rude of us.
2: Kirk ate my sandwich. <laughs> uh huh. And no way. I then called the studio and I said, I can't work with him. He ate my sandwich. And Dexter, who was the head of MGM at that time, he said, How dare you over a sandwich? I said, You don't understand. It's my mom's recipe because Dexter <laughs> didn't know my mother.
0: Seven three disaster, critically, disaster in the box office
1: the thing is if john barry hadn't had those two times where his ass got handed to him is that the the expression i've never heard that expression before that is an interesting expression. (laughs) um go america Um, (laughs) anyways um, (laughs) go off america
2: oh
0: my god good job
1: good job um john what he might have been a great director like we didn't, mm-hmm. don't know this. He could have been know. like an incredible director, made many many movies, um, like gotten like really 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 cool, um, <laughs> but silver lining, if he would have, we wouldn't be talking about him in this podcast.
0: You got upgraded. You were you became second unit director. You know, not not quite above the line yet, but it's it was definitely higher than production design.
1: Ben Kate, what do you mean? definitely higher than production design. Do you mean that direction is better than production design are you actively going against
0: again though i'm so sorry i did not but you know i'm talking more like i like like from the perspective of george lucas i'm sure george lucas thought i'm doing john barry a favor here i'm boosting up his career maybe even felt bad for him after out saturn three from the
1: perspective of george lucas because as a director he was looking down at everyone right
0: he really got his ass handed to him this time Because he got a heart attack two weeks into making Empire Strikes Back.
1: Yes, he did get a heart attack, and it is truly heartbreaking because he passed away. And unfortunately, we don't know what would have happened if he hadn't, and if life had given him a second chance. um, He could have been a great director, he could have done much more production design, who knows. This is what happens. But at least we have John Barry today here in person. So we thank you for it for coming very much,
2: sir.
0: Thank you for coming today.
2: Yes. Thank you guys. Everyone so give it up you, for it, John Barry. So am I getting am I still getting my PayPal? Am no, i still getting no.
0: My... no. No, no, no. Am no. I, am I
2: still getting am I? Alright no. guys. Great. That you was can... amazing. We had John Barry on that was the first time we got an actual guest on the podcast.
0: It was really that nice. Was, to me. I, I, I had, Nolan, to, try, you were I had really to like quiet
1: all this. Are you are you okay, Nolan? Nolan,
0: do yeah, you was, not like was, Star Wars? I was,
2: no, I was in awe. You know, John Barry is one of my favorite artists, so I you know I was literally speechless. We don't want to seem repetitive, but the man did do production design on Star Wars. That <laughs> might be the biggest flex. Like, if you had a imagine if John Barry had a LinkedIn, and it just said like. <laughs> production design team Star Wars. I don't think he'd have trouble getting a job at like a technician at AT&T, you know what I mean? Mm. It's a pretty big yeah. resume booster in my opinion.
0: I mean, just in like just an in influence with of Star Wars like on its own, how much you how much you see like his, you know, he was the one who designed what the inside of the Death Star looked. He he designed what like generally what the Millennium Falcon look like just like these very basic like, just, just like things that show up in Star Wars that like you know I don't think he necessarily thought how big they would eventually become but they are truly like like facets of modern pop culture and they're just right every like everywhere you go. And and it is he a lot because of him.
1: He was like tasked with constructing pretty much the overall feel and look of the entire universe <laughs> in Star Wars, which is bigger than the universe itself. <laughs> like, the way we know Star Wars is Star Wars, largely because John Barry, incredibly, like such an influence. Oh, we were also talking about how he cut, like when, like how they went throughout, through the budget by being limited. And it was in a way that they used broken jet parts to create the insides. George Lucas told the production team, he wanted it to look as if the spaceships from 2001 had been through 200 years of degrading. And using broken parts of other machines that were already machines that actually worked and not just come up in the spot is makes it have that rusty realistic look even if it's star wars and it's not supposed to be realistic there's some tangibility in every space inside that film because of how it was all coordinated and i think that's incredible
2: yeah and again it goes back to wendy carlos wendy carlos is not the sole proprietor of electronic music but they're aren't many people before Wendy Carlos who can make a claim that they changed electronic music. Mm -hmm. John Barry's the same way. There's so many genres and and places where he drew from for his futuristic imagery, but there's not many people who can claim to leave the same mark on in terms of how we view, uh, intergalactic imagery and tableau, uh, than him. I mean, he's really one of the, you know, one of the central people for that specific type of image. I don't You're think wait, well. what do yeah. in my Wars opinion, movie? guys. I think I think Star Wars like I think it landed. You know, I think it actually <laughs> yeah, it did with okay. it. It landed. It, 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 did well. it, it, landed.
0: it, it has some critics. It does have some it does have some critics. Um not gonna name <laughs> them. Yeah, but they are but they are in this podcast right now.
1: May they yeah, dare I, I have no call Star Wars a project. Seb. Those <laughs> critics critics.
0: <laughs> What's
2: worse? What's worse, my three and a half stars for three colors blue. Or Seb's bashing of A New Hope.
1: <laughs> boat below. <laughs> Everyone will do it. Both like, are below the um, bar,
2: below the line, even
1: below the line. Seb's below the was... the Paul. Um, but wait, one last thing about Star Wars. I don't think there was any good science fiction movies at all before that. I mean, you have what? Um, two thousand one.
0: No, bad. The other one was bad, like
1: just bad. as bad. You know.
0: Yep. yep. Yep, nothing, right. nothing, and has there ever been a good movie made since Star Wars? That's another question, that's another question, you know? So thank you, John Barry, for making the production design for the only movie ever.
2: Um, thank you so much.
0: Do you wanna talk about what we're talking about next week?
2: Because of the month we happen to be in and because of the festivities we happen to surround ourselves with in terms of Halloween and spooky Tober, we are going to talk about makeup, Artists. That's right. Practical effects, baby. Everybody's favorite. We'll be covering some of the um, greatest champions of horror film makeup from the 1930s Universal monster films such as Dracula, Frankenstein, from the Black Lagoon, etc., all the way up to uh, the greatest horror films of all time, like uh, 1992 Dracula by Francis Ford Coppola, starring Keanu Reeves, the greatest ever, (laughs) and probably the greatest movie after Batman Returns. Interesting, they came out in the same year. Very interesting, they both came out in the same year. Maybe 1992 is like the best, like the best year, just in general. For movies,
0: for movies. yeah. For, no, no for, for, for period, for period. For 1982,
2: like, yeah. Not only will we be talking about these underappreciated uh, makeup artists, but the horror film makeup category has pretty much historically been dominated by male makeup artists. And of course, Below the Line, we wanna to bring to light some of the underappreciated uh, artists. And in this case, for horror film makeup, there's a lot of women who of course are integral to this discussion. Uh, but don't usually have the appreciation like their male counterparts do. So we'll be bringing them to light as well. Uh, All on this Halloween spooky edition of Below the Line, where maybe we'll have one or two or three ghostly guests. (laughs) Or maybe we just won't have any guests at all. Maybe this is the first time that all three of us are hosts. We'll have to see. That that. that uh, entry, hey hey no no you're not moment. you're not
0: one just you're not one to say maybe it'll be all three we we seven. I will decide whether you get to bump up your position after your comment. You know I'll I think it's in the I, I don't even remember what facts. I don't even remember what we yelled at you for. But I think I like it. I like it this way. Hmm. Hmm. Anyway, thank you everybody for listening.
1: <laughs> um, I'll cue the music now.